HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Danone North America, the world's largest B Corp, committed to doing all kinds of better for people and the planet. Learn more at DanoneAwayFromHome.com. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you a sensational episode where each story hones in on one of the four senses that accompanies taste. Many of the smells that we uh, encounter in everyday life actually exist out there in the cosmos. Food carries all these culturally specific meanings. The fact that, you know, when you see an apple, it's not just an apple, right? I was mostly interested in thinking about what knobs ASMR was pulling on, maybe, or how we could explain it from a psychological or emotional or evolutionary standpoint. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. So on this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, I am uh, deeply in deep gratitude to have Christopher Daniel on the podcast with us. And Christopher, not only is he uh, probably one of the most brilliant writers that you will find uh, right now, he's also a good friend of mine. And I'm in this season of Soul, I want to have some some really close people on here so you all can understand who I am as well as the guests that we're bringing on. And Christopher uh, right now is, uh, well, let me look at this Rolodex of people that he's uh, has actually interviewed, including Morris Day of the time, Shaka Khan. I, I saw Christopher on, on Saturday and he said that he was uh, interviewing Little John uh, and the list goes on and on. I mean, it, it's so crazy. He's a digital journalism professor at Clark Atlanta University at HBCU, which is very, very great to see that someone's giving back to the community. But, you know, we talked about music, but his love and passion for food is amazing. And now I see him writing more articles for food than ever before. Last year, he did an article in ESPN. And just recently, there was an article written by yours, uh, by Christopher Daniels about myself and, and Josh Lee, who also recorded on Soul. Uh, 
uh, for our new restaurant, Lake and Oak Neighborhood Barbecue, that's uh, featured in the Washington uh, Post. So I asked Christopher all the time, so how do you top ESPN? Oh, I just put an article in Washington Post. You know, I mean, how, what else What else in life are you supposed to do? So it, without further ado, please welcome uh, Christopher Daniel to Soul by Todd Richards. <laughs> you know, anytime you ask me to come, Todd, I'm <laughs> so, you know, it's glad to be on your show. I'm glad to be on your show and support you for sure. So let's talk about this journey uh, of Christopher Daniel, because I don't think people really know who you are in the sense of besides, you know, the, the wonderful person that you are, uh, the stand up character that you are. I don't think people understand why you are so tied to music and food. Where did that all come from? Well, I grew up in upstate South Carolina and I'm actually from the same area where chat with Bozeman is from if that helps so where and so you know in my area you know we're really big on family so when we were growing up you know it was a lot of barbecues in the backyard and you know my mom was a good cook and all her sisters because she's the youngest of five girls and all those used to cook at their homes for their children and my grandmother was really big into it and one of my mom's good friends and they actually dated for a number of years he was actually a big chef in the armed forces, but he also cooked in the White House during the Reagan administration. So I can remember when I was maybe like eight or nine, you know, prep cooking in the kitchen with him, you know, chopping onions and slicing tomatoes, making salads and, you know, battering chicken and seasoning meat and, you know, doing little things like that just to, you know, kind of help him get things done a little bit quicker. But one thing my mom used to say to me all the time, was she could always tell when I was super hungry because I would always run in and out of the kitchen when she'd be doing certain stuff. But, you know, she was a single parent. And when my sister was in college, you know, she would work all these crazy late hours at the beauty salon because my mom's a beautician. So whenever she would be at work a lot of times and I would get home from school, I would already have pot roast on the stove or start like cutting greens and washing them or making a salad and having, you know, like a casserole or something made. So for me, food was one of those things that was creative because I've always been a super artistic person, you know, whether I was writing or painting at school or doing like theater odyssey or something like that. Cooking was just another way for me to really use color and use texture and to really make something that people kind of identify me through because I was always a perfectionist and always really meticulous about stuff. So food was just one of those things where it allowed me to really express another creative outlet for myself. That, that That's fascinating to me because one thing I didn't know, I didn't know that you were a painter as well. I'm not surprised. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, artistic people usually tend to have multiple uh, outlets for, for, for expression. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's really, really great to hear. But where did this uh, music uh, come from? Because I knew you more for music first. Uh, in our discussions, uh, you know, over a whiskey or two, then then even understanding your your passion and love for food. Where does that 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 music resonate from in your in your family? Well, when we were gr- well, my mom is the partier, so in the house I can remember, you know, I, when I, I see I see where you get it from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my mom loves to have fun, man. Like when she was, you know, in her twenties in the nineteen seventies. She was like a general manager for several nightclubs in our hometown. So all of the artists that used to pass through the city, you know, she would always create these sort of hospitality experiences for them or made sure like things were taken care of in the venue whenever they would come through. So in the house, 
there was always albums. There was always, you know, BET when Johnny Simpson and Sherry Carter were on Video Soul. So a lot of my earliest memories were my mom rotating vinyl records on this big record player that she had in the living room. And it was a state-of-the-art stereo with the tape deck and these big, tall speakers that were about tall as me. So anytime she would have company or something would happen where her friends and stuff would come over, they would literally just kind of have these playlist parties which was well before Spotify and stuff, but they would just rotate all these records and they would have their beer and their liquor and their cigarettes and their cars or whatever. And they would literally just have a good time. So when I was in school, you know, I was, you know, really, really big into my church choir. Cause you know, where I'm from, you had to go to church every Sunday. So what actually got me into the word and into the spirit was the music in the choir because, you know, my friends in the choir, they play instruments and I was the president of my youth choir. So that was more of a reason for me to really get into what the preacher was saying because of what we were rehearsing that Saturday and getting ready for, you know, Sunday service and doing all that stuff. But in school, I played classical music. So I played violoncello. So I was in, you know, chamber orchestras and I placed very high during sectionals. And I have a ton of trophies and medals in my mother's house still to this day. But I've always been big into hip hop because my older sister is like 13 years older than me. So when Salt and Pepper and Run DMC and, you know, the cold chilling era and all those guys were coming, that was the music that she played in the house when we were cleaning up. So I easily latched on to that and then MTV was on television. I was, I'm a child of the 80s. So that was on. So watching all the new wave stuff and seeing Prince and Michael Jackson and Tina Turner and Lionel Richie doing stuff. But when I was a teenager, Nas and Outkast and Biggie and, all the stuff that was coming up in the 90s and early 2000s was really my generation. So it's kind of bringing all those different things together, but realizing sonically things were cool, lyrically things were cool, but all these different things kind of added up to me because I liked everything. So it was just a matter of kind of bringing every world together. And even to this day, I'm the same way. I still love every type of music possible. If I travel out of the country, I want to know what the native music is and go to the festivals and see what's really going on. So for me, it was just always just a really cool way to escape, if that makes sense. It makes absolute sense. You know, I, I've seen you interview people, uh, you know, in Atlanta for, you know, because that's where we are for many, many times. But I'm just curious, um, uh, when you say that your mom, you know, you know ran nightclubs and, and, and played vinyl, uh, but you also were part of the uh, video soul movement. When you say Donnie Simpson, I almost fell out of my chair. I forgot about that, dude, you know, <laughs> but yeah. and, and uh, MTV. Uh, what about food, though, from the television standpoint? Because there wasn't, you know, BET never really put on a, 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 a cooking show or, you know, or anything like that. Why do you think that we never really saw that same type of representation from a, a video format uh, during that time with food? Well, interestingly enough, I think, honestly, I don't even think it's, it's a matter of possibility. And I can remember even in the 90s when I was coming up, you know, Ed Gordon was the commentator on BET's news special. And that and that's somebody that I looked up to as well. And then more and more as we got into it, you saw a rotation, but you start you stop seeing the news, too. So I'm thinking it's just one of those things where people just kind of overlooked it, because the most I think you saw on BET or something like that in terms of food was you might have seen a Sprite commercial 
where you saw like the dopest rapper or the dopest R&B singer at the time on it, or you might have seen like a McDonald's or a Burger King ad, or maybe like a Kentucky Fried Chicken ad or something like that. But honestly, I don't think that people really understood that there was an entire community of popular people that really enjoyed to cook or they actually had menus that they would actually prepare for their friends. Or maybe it was just a situation where they didn't perceive it as something that black people really enjoy in that format. But when you look at the larger context and just kind of look at our families and where we come from, food is a large part of our culture and a large part of our community. So honestly, I'm not sure, but I think it would be interesting to maybe go back and try to figure out why is it that you maybe got one cooking show or two home shows maybe over the last 30 or 40 years. You know, I, I look at it uh, from this standpoint that you know, that we have, you know, B. Smith was was you know always famous, you know, for us as one of those voices. Yeah, G. Garvin. I know I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people around that era. But you bring up Ed Gordon, and there was something about seeing someone uh, do the news, which I find in that era was fascinating. Uh, me being a Chicago native, we had Harry Porter. Um, who did the news in Chicago and seeing them both. But also when you look at, you know, the commercials, which you bring up so, so, so eloquently, um, even with Soul Trend, you know, you saw the, the Afro Sheen commercials and all those things, but we never really saw food being a part of representation, even though it was called Soul Trend. Uh, there was soul train, soul music, but there was nothing really talking about soul food as it was their disconnect. Uh, back to our own community. But you do a brilliant way currently uh, of tying those things together. And I really feel like you're really telling your story through other people's eyes. Did you learn that in college? Where, I mean, where did you learn this, this way of writing um, uh, your story through other people? One of my absolute favorite writers, and I don't think he's ever really done it in writing, but he has done it in a platform before, is Nelson George. He's by far like the quintessential person that I looked up to that really highlighted black pop culture and really throwing himself into the experience so that you can understand why soul culture is a powerful tool. So one of the things that he was able to do as I got older, and I actually used this in my class, he had a show on VH1 Soul called Soul Cities. And what would happen was he would go to places like Oakland or go to New Orleans or go to maybe Chicago and he would visit some of the artists that came from those areas. But he would also go to some of the restaurants or some of the cultural centers there to really try to tie all these different strands together to show why these regional places were these really cool places to visit. Right. So when I was, you know, coming up, one of the things I always thought about was being able to take things that people always thought were really lowbrow or they didn't necessarily understand it or they thought, in for lack of a better term, they thought it was ignorant shit, so to speak. So <laughs> being able to really go through the motions of going to UGA for grad school and seeing that side, but also going to a historically black university for undergrad and being able to enjoy that. But then, you know, coming into my own as an adult and then living here for a number of years and seeing, you know, how music works and how the food industry works and seeing how the nonprofit works and then being in the school system, college level and seeing how college students actually interact with each other. 
being able to experience all of that euphoria and experience all that pride and experience all that education, I always knew there was a way to kind of articulate really fun parts of my life or really, really cool parts of my life and just really situating that in terms of what was going on in the moment or really trying to figure out how do you explain the joy that you see or how do you explain the pain that you see or how do you explain the sort of, you know, appreciation for who you are, you know, and being able to turn that into, you know, the best damn barbecue that you've ever eaten or maybe turning that into, you know, a Saturday night live set like what Lil John does across social platforms every night. Like I said, I like to party and I like to hang out and I like crunk music. So to be able to watch him every week do this in one of the worst situations that we've ever experienced. But to be able to tell him, you know, when I was in college, I can remember a day when you came to campus and nobody went to class. Or I can remember a moment when I was a kid, you know, nobody really liked Southern music. But once I got to be an adult, now it's all over the radio and it's all in videos and they're building commercials and ad campaigns behind this stuff. Seeing all of that stuff, it's like you grow with this. So it's really figuring out how do you tell a story that really explains the joy and incorporates your energy. What it really allows me to do is just incorporate my energy in a very dynamic way. So whatever I can do to really show how fun my life is, that's what I try to create in my story. I mean, it's such a fascinating way to to look at it. And you did bring up something, you know, we are in times of COVID um, and it doesn't seem there is a remedy that we're going to have for uh, moving forward. Uh-huh. Uh, but when we look at, um, at the food ways that are happening right now and the music landscape that are happening right now, uh, where uh, did all this music come from? Where did this food come from? Is something that you and I discussed. But more importantly, I guess my question is, is how do we better uh, tell the story of our generation to make it relevant um, to the younger generation so that they find inspiration throughout these difficult times? Well, we have to listen to each other. I mean, one of the things that I think why our relationship is so good and why I've been able to, you know, be there and you support me and I support you back is the fact that we listen to each other and we know where each other are coming from. You know, being able to understand, you know, where your red beans and rice came from and where that catfish came from and how you situate that catfish into a larger conversation about your dad and what he means to you and how you were able to really mobilize yourself after seeing him take raw materials in the house and turn it into a full meal. So it's being able to tell those types of stories and to be able to have the willingness to share those experiences is where it starts. And, you know, just really showing folks that we're so much more alike than we are different that it's not even funny. You know, when I when I hear, you know, those stories about dishes that you like to make and even going back and reading the cookbook and seeing what you do with collard greens just uh, impresses and astounds me. Like even eating Josh's oysters last weekend with the collard greens and the cream sauce in it. I think about days where we would literally take leftover food in my house and we would make whole different casseroles out of it. Or my mother would take like turkey from Thanksgiving. And just because she didn't want to throw it away, she would make the best damn turkey tetrazzini I would ever eat. Or we would slice it up and make sandwiches out of it. Or even if I wanted a salad, 
I would just chop up the turkey and make a salad out of it just because I didn't feel like cooking, but it was so healthy for me and so yummy. So it's being able to understand what different parts of ourselves and what raw materials did somebody use to turn that into something else. Shoot, somebody in my house might have done the same thing, but it's being able to listen and understand each other is where that thing starts. And then the other thing I think we have to do is we have to like, and I think we we actually talked about this before about turning off the internet and turning off gadgets sometime. I think sometimes we can unplug and not situate ourselves into larger conversations on Twitter or other, you know, back and forth on Facebook or just stuff that people are just saying. I feel like sometimes when we step away from those platforms and we step away from that ecosystem, we have more of an opportunity to really see our value a little bit more closely. You know, even when I was taking that five week hiatus off from Facebook right around the time I was writing your story, it really allowed me to focus more on your story and to really pick the nuance in such a way where everyone identifies with this piece. Like I told you, now I'm at a point where every time I turn around, somebody wants me to write or somebody wants me to interview or some editor is reaching out because they want my work. So it's being able to do things like that. You know, like I said, step away from the normal conversations or the con- the conventional conversations that's being had, but also listening a little bit more intentionally just to try to find something different. I think that's the way where we start to own who we are. We start to appreciate a little bit better. And in turn, once we do that, we can have better stories to share and exchange with everybody. I really, you know, thank you so much for that point of view. Um, we definitely want people to turn off some of the social media, just not listening to this podcast. Do not turn this podcast. No, don't off. turn this off. This is some heat. This is heat right here. This is like free 99 stuff. <laughs> free 99. <laughs> to Soul by Todd Richards. We'll be right back in a couple of moments. Every time your customers eat and drink, they vote for the world they want to live in. And as the world's largest B Corp, to know North America helps people vote for a better world with all kinds of better dairy, coffee, and plant-based products sourced and produced transparently. To know North America has the brands people know and love, like International Delight, Oikos, Silk, So Delicious Dairy Free, Horizon Organic, and Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. But to know North America represents more than just in-demand brands and better for your business products. They bring their B Corp certification to life in ways that protect the environment and communities by utilizing 100% renewable electricity sources to produce their products at their manufacturing facilities, committing $6 million to programs that restore the soil's ability to capture and sequester carbon, helping to restore more than 7.8 billion gallons to freshwater ecosystems through their water partnerships over the past decade, and committing to 100% reusable, recyclable, and compostable packaging by 2025. Learn how you can choose better at DenoneAwayFromHome.com. So we're back with Christopher Daniel, a really great friend of mine, a journalist of many genres, including food and music. Let's talk about some of these interviews that you've done, because I, I know the list. I've seen the list. I've been jealous of this list. 
Uh, uh, one in particular, well, two in particular, I want to talk about is one of my uh, most favorite artists in the world is Shaka Khan. And it was something uh, about that interview that spoke uh, to me, first of all, being a Chicago native, uh, you know, seeing uh, another person from Chicago who I admired, um, who always had this way of reinventing herself. Uh, what is it about your interview style that really brings the honesty out of people? Because I believe when I read it, she was more vulnerable with you than, than most other people that might have interviewed her uh, previously. Hmm. Well, um, the, the funny part about that is we've had a lot of Twitter exchanges just because I've seen her live several times. So a lot of the conversations that we've had have actually been through social media. And a lot of times when I'm referencing certain things, I will always try to reference maybe album songs that I love, that I have memories of, that my mother used to play or maybe somebody played in my home. And it's typically something where it stands out so much because those songs or those moments might not get as many mentions as maybe the hits. But I think a lot of the honesty comes from passion. I mean, you passion is something you can't teach and it's something you can't buy. Like when I was um, younger, one thing that I used to do a lot of, and this is something my mother also would tell you too, sometimes whenever she would be making food, and she would be making dinner and I would be at home. I would literally go to the library for maybe like three or four hours on Sundays. And I would just sit there and I would just rotate through like old articles or go through albums or go through CDs and just listen to stuff. So I think a lot of it comes from, you know, just really having that raw undying love for sound and voice and for tone and for being able to understand what someone brings to their work. I think that's really part of it. The other thing is, you know, just genuinely having a curiosity about things. You know, when I listen to stuff, I'm always trying to, you know, arouse myself to think about what else did that person listen to when they were making stuff or what was the vibe like? Like, think about when you listen to something like Off the Wall by Michael Jackson probably one of the best albums that you'll ever hear, right? But for that album to be as seamless as it is and to be as good as it is, you know there's a whole experience behind it. Same thing when you listen to an Earth, Wind & Fire album or you listen to a Prince album or you listen to an Outkast album or you listen to maybe like a Weather Report record. A lot of that stuff sounds so good and a lot goes on where it's clean and there's it's ambient and the musicians get in their bag and they're just licking and slapping and playing like you wouldn't believe. I think a lot of that really comes from just kind of developing a good system whenever they're doing that. You can hear that. So I think what I always try to do is I always try to understand what's what somebody's mood is before they talk to me. And I'm always trying to understand, you know, what is the team dynamic like before I do anything, too? So I think as long as you test the temperature and just try to understand, you know, what the whole vibe and aura is like before you open your mouth. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, just intentionally listening to people and not talking so much. When you're the person that's in the moment and that person is shedding their skin and they're giving you their life story or they're telling you things that you might not necessarily have known or things they might not necessarily share with other people. That's them trusting you and that's them giving you something very significant as something very endearing. So for me, I think it's always good to just try to be more of a sponge. And then on top of being a sponge, you know, just have a love, an undying, authentic love for what you do. 
It's, um, I know I had another artist in mind, but I, I am so tempted to ask this question uh, and, and not to put you on the spot. Maybe just give me a couple. Uh, who have been some of your favorite artists to interview? Let's see. And I get this question all the time. You know, my I teach students, so they always want to know this. So I think it's a lot. Um, there's a few of them, actually. So there was Quincy Jones. Um, that was actually a very early one I had gotten. Um, Dick Gregory before he passed. That was a good one. Paul Mooney cursed me out in a hotel lobby. So, <laughs> so, that, so, that, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who else? Um, Ruth Carter, the Oscar winning costume designer. We actually hung out after our interview and she was a lot of fun. Um, I'm a big P-Valley fan, which is the show that was on Stars this year, the breakout show about the strip clubs. Um, Katuri Hall is the creator. So we had a really good time over the phone because we're both Southerners and both highly educated. So there was that um, chat with Bozeman, of course, before he passed. I actually had a conversation with him during the whole Get On Up press run, the James Brown movie. So that was when I did that story. Um, it's been a lot. Lil John last Friday, that was pretty fun. And he was just absolutely incredible. And his energy was through the roof. Um, Earth, Wind and Fire. That was a fun one. That was the first time my mother ever told me she was proud of me as a journalist. So I had to <laughs> throw right. that one out there. And right. and truthfully, I honestly would have to say you because a great deal of the work that I've been able to do in the national space has been your interviews. I mean, the very first ESPN Undefeated clip I got was your story. The very first Washington Post clip I got was your story. So if you want to talk about favorite moments and favorite opportunities and experiences that kind of elevated me, it would definitely have to be you and eating your catfish and your chicken wings and, you know, just all that good yummy food that you and Josh serve up in Eastlake. So it's definitely it's probably a hybrid of all of that stuff. But I would definitely say you would have to be a favorite for sure. I appreciate it. I, I am very humbled that you considered me in that. Just for, for anyone who's out there listening, uh, if you want to make it big, you better interview me as well, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, it's, I mean, it's more than just, you know, just right. your demeanor and right. how you treat your team and just the things that you stand by as a chef. You know, for me, I think it's just more or less you genuinely care about people. You know, you care about what you do. Is you're not in it for the money or for the wealth or for the riches or for the, the just the visibility. You're in it because you really have a story behind your dish and more people just latched onto that story. And, you know, every time I've ever seen you do anything, you've never lost your cool. You've always been super resilient about stuff and you've always bounced back and done bigger and better each time. So if that's not a heroic and inspiring story to tell, I don't know what is. You know, the, the, the fascinating thing is that I learned so much from people. That's why I wanted to do this podcast um, and, and really so I can understand um, their story better and share it amongst the people that I know, because I find so much inspiration in people doing things that I cannot do for my, myself. Uh, I, I am a, a reserved person, but when, when I'm around you, you know, you know, the light goes on. It's just like being at home uh, with my family doing a backyard barbecue all, all the time. So that's why I appreciate your talents and what you do. I'm, I'm going to switch it just a little bit here. And we got, a, you know, just a few more minutes here uh, and really talk about the future of food journalism. Uh, we've seen a lot lately in uh, food journalism, about the council culture of food journalism. 
where we've pulled uh, 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 called so many people to the carpet. Um, uh, editors have been terminated. Editors have resigned. Uh, James Beard Award, you know, is on hiatus for two years. Uh, there uh, seems to be uh, more spaces available for new journalists. However, it seems like the platforms, unless you create it yourself, might be getting uh, smaller uh, as there are more people in the market. How do people continue to find their space in this new era of food journalism? And most importantly, how do they make sure that they get you know, compensated for it? Because too many times the complaints uh, we've heard is that they have not been fully compensated um, for their publications, by publications, you know, for their works uh, in their entirety. Oh, yeah. So as an educator, and you know this about me, one thing that I'm super deliberate about is making sure that students going for, especially black students and other students of color, that they understand that there are so many different options for them in this day and age. Um, and we have to do a better job. At, and this is what I've experienced just being in education. We have to get out of strictly only having journalists, PR people and academics do all the talking. Yes, they help. It's wonderful. I'm happy to have them kind of push people, but we need to start having more chefs and more mixologists and more food publicists and more people that work in the restaurant and hospitality arena to really come have more open dialogue with people that's in mass media based programs. I had a student a couple of years ago what her career goal was, was she wanted to do event coordination for a hotel. That was what she wanted to do. And she, and she was a PR major. And lo and behold, she was in, she was in tears a lot of times because she said that the whole time she was at CAU, there was nobody to push her to really pursue that. So when I got there, I had, you know, several people to come in that were maybe doing PR for like Jack Daniels or you came in a couple of times. And, you know, I had some other people that were doing like food and wine stuff. And Tiffany Berry, she came to do a mixology demonstration in my advanced meteorite class. And when you're doing those things, you expose students and you open their eyes and you should see like how their eyes just widen because a lot of them like to cook. A lot of them like to make cocktails. A lot of them have people that work in the kitchen in their families, but they didn't know or have any idea that there was a whole different career option for them. And even back to the student that I had that wanted to do the event coordination in hotels, her first job out of school, she went into a pilot program with the Marriott International. And within a year, they had her on full time and paid her a lot of money. And she said, that's the most fulfilled and happy she's ever been. So she's good. So it's being able to make sure that we listen more closely to what students are trying to create. And we also have to be open to exposing them and giving them tips on maybe where their skills may be more beneficial or where their competencies can really help mobilize other people and move them. So it's being able to do things like that. And even me being in class, I have conversations with my students about invoicing their work. I have conversations with them about signing W-9s and doing contracts and making sure that when you work with editors, make sure that you know what your negotiating power is. So we can't be afraid to have these sorts of dialogues and we have to get out of the conversation of telling kids all the time to work for free, work for free, work for free. Yes, we want some of that and we want kids to humble themselves, but if we don't start 
introducing these types of answers when they have these questions when they're in training and when they're incubating and when they're trying to develop themselves and figure themselves out. We can't expect them to go far and even stick with what we're trying to get them to do if we don't have the tools and the resources and the answers for them. You know, so that's why it matters to have more people like me who are in the streets writing the stories and who are dealing with the editors and who are dealing with the chefs and who are dealing with the production companies who can come back and kind of package this in a very, very engaging, very inspiring, motivating sort of way. So that now when I have students come to class, they're already getting published in big publications. They're already interning at big PR companies or major television channels, or they're doing stuff that they've always wanted to do. It really takes kind of disrupting and kicking down that glass door and really showing them that this is what's possible. This is what you need to think about. But more importantly, I, as a resource, am here to help you. All right. Speaking of kicking down uh, a door, um, and we got about one minute here. Uh, when this COVID is over, wh- what door are you kicking down? Who are you going to go see in concert? I know there's uh, that you know everyone got pushed from uh, from this year to next year. Is there anyone that you're looking forward to go see? <laughs> Who? I mean, I would be cool with going to see someone like the Eagles. Just because I've never seen them before, I had a chance to see Fleetwood Mac twice, and it was one of the best experiences. I've seen Imagine Dragons multiple times. I've seen Linkin Park multiple times. You know, I've even seen Christopher Cross perform. You know, he's another guy that's down with COVID right now, so shout out to him. But um, making sure I go see the bands I've always wanted to see. I mean, I want to go see the Eagles. I want to go see Chicago. I mean, I've had the chance to hang out with Earth, Wind & Fire, so I can cross that off my bucket list. Hell, if I can go see Lil Jon do like a physical live set after seeing him every Saturday in my living room by my bar in my house, I'm ready to physically see more DJs like him up close. I mean, I got to see David Morales before everything went crazy. So if I can go check him out again, I think that'd be great. You know, seeing some of these new guys, I mean, Calvin Harris and Geta and Steve Aoki and, of course, Ty Richards, when he gets his residency back at the sound table, I'll be back over there, too. So, I mean, it's just I mean, it's just I don't know, man. It's, it's so many. But I think those guys by far are the main ones. And if we get another Outcast reunion show, that'll help, too. Yeah, that would, that, that would be great. Where can everyone find you on social media? <laughs> I mean, you can definitely look me up on you can definitely find me on Twitter and Instagram at journalistorian. So that's literally the word journalist and historian without the H. So if you can just remember at journalistorian on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. You can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook, Christopher A. Daniel, and just shoot me some words, drop me a DM, send a shout out, whatever you want to do. I'm here. So let's do it. I thank you, my friend, my brother, um, colleague, uh, for everything that you do for all the chefs and and mixologists in in Atlanta and across the country, and certainly how you um, weave in music uh, into this journey. Uh, It's really served as inspiration in me writing soul and working on the upcoming book. And of course, I'll probably see you this weekend. Uh, We got a new batch of whiskey, and so I'll give you a shout (laughs) 
and, and even when this is uh, going to air, we don't know exactly when it's going to air. That's going to be a typical weekend for us anyway. So I truly appreciate you stopping by Soul by Todd Richards, and I will see you uh, soon, uh, either uh, on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and all the places you talked about, or here at Lake and Oak Barbecue. Oh, we'll do another one of these. You know, we we got more stories to tell. There's so many dope chefs in Atlanta. You know, Derek Hayes at Big Dave's Cheesesteaks, um, Deborah Van Treese at Twisted Soul. I mean, you got our homies down in Mobile, Alabama, Reggie Washington and Dwayne Nutter and Erica Barrett. And, you know, we got and Tiffany Barrier here and Jennifer Booker. So it's a, it's a bunch of us. So many stories we got to get out, man. We just we, we're here for it. Soul by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.